0: Philippians 3, part 1 from the sermon series Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. So sometimes losing can be fun. Like losing all the weight that we may have gained from this quarantine. I am very excited to do that, hopefully, one day. That's exciting to me. But generally, I don't think anyone likes losing. Those of us who are less competitive may come to terms with losing faster than others, but no one likes to be on the losing side. I'm not athletic. So I can imagine, you can imagine how much I despised gym class when I was in school. Team sports were especially torturous for me. My goal, therefore, was just to figure out a way not to embarrass myself. So if I struck out, or if the ball didn't go in the goal, who cares? No big deal. It's not that the best feeling in the world, but I had not put my heart into actually doing those things. But there are times when hurting when losing hurts a lot more. Like when I actually care about something, like when I applied for a job that I thought I would get and I didn't. And now losing seems to be a part of our norm. In the past five months, there has been incredible loss of life and of health. There has been loss of employment. There has been a loss of innocence as we have seen more and more that racism is real and it still exists. And my heart goes out to our high school and college graduates who've lost the opportunity to have proms and, and senior dances and huge graduation celebrations. This type of loss hurts so much because you've worked for it and you were invested in it. Maybe you lost your job after years of faithful service, or maybe your relationship that you've invested so much of your time and has now come to an end. These losses are so much harder. Losing something you actually care about never feels good, but those things are out of our control. What about losses surrendered, like giving up your career so that you could stay at home and take care of your children? Shout out to all of the moms and the dads who were doing this before the pandemic began. And so it's strange and certainly counterintuitive for me to suggest this morning that there could be joy found in loss. That in God's economy, those things that we're afraid of, those things we cling most tightly to, those things we have found our identity and our worth in, that in losing these things, there is joy. Joy is not just possible, but it's promised. As we continue with our sermon series, Contagious Joy, I want you to consider with me what Paul expresses, that there is joy in losing. There is actually joy in losing. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul begins this passage by warning against false teachers, especially those who have distorted the meaning of circumcision. He warns against those who advocate circumcision as if that alone makes them righteous. What matters is our heart set towards Jesus. Paul is teaching the Philippian church and he's teaching us not to put our confidence in things of the flesh. Now that doesn't mean our bodies, although it could be, but rather the things of this world. And Paul uses himself and as an example. He's not telling them to do something he hasn't done himself, he, nor is he speaking as someone who hasn't given up so much worldly acclaim for the sake of Christ. Paul says that he knows what it's like to be on top of the world and how easily we can begin to trust in those things and put our value and our worth in them, to try to find our value or our worth in them. But he also knows how important it is to give it up. Look at verses 4 through 6. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul was a prominent Jew. His Jewish roots were deep and indisputable. He came from a good, prestigious family, kept the religious tradition, and obtained high office in the faith and in the community. And he goes down the checklist of all the proverbial boxes of status. Check one, ritual. His family strictly adhered to the rituals of the faith when they had him circumcised um, when he was eight days old, according to Jewish law. Next, there was rank. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He is a descendant of the tribe that produced the first king, King Saul. Race, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was born a Jew. He was not a convert, and his lineage was pure. Next, there was religion. Paul had become a Pharisee, the strictest sect of Judaism. Then there was the role. Paul took his role as Pharisee so seriously that he even proudly and zealously persecuted Christians. And finally, righteousness. He sought to obey every Jewish law. As a Pharisee, they even tithe their spices. So he considered himself faultless. But Paul admits that his pre-Christian confidence was rooted in his Jewish heritage, privileges, and attainments. He had lived into the ethnic and cultural markers of the time and secured them as indicators of righteousness. And to be quite honest, we do the same thing. Whether we want to admit it or not, we buy into the American dream. The high-paying job, the fancy car, the big house. Acceptable occupations, doctor, lawyer, someone in finance or engineering. The best schools, the best neighborhoods. The most attractive spouse, the tightest six-pack, the smartest and most diligent children. The right church, the right vacations, the right social clubs. Our American cultural privilege, our American culture privileges, social status, ethnic purity, and individual attainment. And every culture has it, not just America. We create hierarchies and symbols of status that we secretly hope will win us favor from both God and man. We seek justification through our achievements and salvation through our social standing. It is all self-righteousness veiled as upward mobility. Now, does this mean that you can't attain those things? Of course not. But what it means is that we have to constantly ask ourselves about our motivations. Are we chasing money, prestige, accolades, and applause more than we're chasing after the heart of Christ? I keep my degrees in a plastic container under my bed because it keeps me humble. Because I do not want to be defined by my degrees by those schools or by those names. I live for Jesus. Jesus warns us, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Pastor IJ told us very clearly last week that our priority is seeking after the heart of Christ. What is your motivation in the morning? What is your driving force? Are you seeking after fruitful labor, as Paul talks about in chapter one, or are you striving after your own personal gains or for the accolades and approval of men and women? Because anything that comes before God or takes the place of God is an idol. Did you know that in the Bible, idol or idolatry is mentioned over 223 times? God knew that we would be constantly tempted to put Anything above him, including ourselves. Those things that we hold most dearly, that we take most pride in, can become our downfall if we're not careful. Jesus tells us if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God maimed than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. We've got to do some deep soul searching and self evaluation. I know many of you have spent this time during COVID cleaning out your basements and your attic, throwing out old clothing and old kids' toys, but have you done some deep cleaning of your soul lately? Have you stopped to evaluate your lives and what's really important? Our things, our accomplishments, the things we take the most pride in, anything from our looks to our bank accounts are often the things we put our trust in more than God. And if COVID has taught us anything, we ought to know by now that God is our only hope. Most of you know Linda Swanson. I just love her, don't you? I spoke with her a few weeks ago about my life, knowing that I needed to change some things and to get back on course. And she introduced me to a tool called the Your Personal Compass. The point is to help you refocus and reorient your life. The most important part of the compass for me was the piece that faces West. West represents the setting sun, endings, and letting go. Who or what needs to be released, ended, or shed? What beliefs or attitudes do you need to die to? I realized that I needed to give up the amount of help that I was offering my former church. I felt guilty because they still have not found a pastor after over three years. I was concerned that they would be mad at me. And a part of me actually likes feeling needed. I was motivated by fear and guilt, not to mention my dreaded God complex. But I'm not God, and I have to trust God to be with them. I realized that I needed to give up eating on Wednesdays. And I love food, so this is big for me but I'm doing it so that I could fast and spend more time seeking after Christ. I encourage you to do a similar inventory of your life. Just because it's the way we have been living is not necessarily mean that this is the way we're supposed to be living. What is God calling you to lose in your life? Paul evaluates his old life, and he calls it loss three times. He eventually calls it garbage. In the King James Version, they call it dung. Look at verses seven and eight. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. Paul says his prominence, his prestige, his power, all of it, his social standing, it's all garbage. It's all dung in comparison to Christ. Because what Paul realized is that what he had was actually of no worth at all. If it's not of Christ or for Christ, it's worthless. So what happened? Jesus happened, the Holy Spirit happened. Acts 9 tells us how Jesus stopped Paul on the Damascus Road, and when Jesus was through with Paul, something like scales fell from his eyes. He became convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and was the only way to God. And when Paul encountered Christ, he realized that what he thought was of value, the titles and and the power, the religious and ethnic privileges, were worthless. It was the true encounter with Jesus that helped Paul see that everything else was garbage. In experiencing the light, he realized just how dark his life had been. You can have all the money in the world. You can hold the highest office in the land. You can have the titles, the family name, buildings named after you, but that does not get you close to God. That does not make you righteous. You've merely spent your life chasing after the wind. This is why Paul had every right to make this claim. Paul had not failed in Judaism. He was on the top of Jewish world and he believed his life was good. But he found a better way. Many of you may be at the top of your game or at least very clearly on your way. You may have a good life. But God doesn't want you to have a good life. He wants you to have a God life. He wants you to have the dreams that he has for you. He wants you to experience the joy that he has for you. And you can only have a God life if you're willing to give up what you think is the good life. Those things that society says gives you a good life do not bring you to Jesus. And if Christ is supposed to be the center of your life, if Christ is supposed to be the head of your life and the center of your joy, then then all that we say and all that we strive for should be leading us to Christ and nowhere else. Christ is calling us to move away from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Anything that does not allow us to center ourselves in Jesus is worthless. It is dung and it must be lost. But God doesn't leave us hanging. Paul shows us that the joy of losing is the gaining of Christ. But what does this mean? If you're a Christian, you're like, I've got Christ already. But Paul says there's more to be gained. Just as Paul called his old life lost, now he says, all I do is live to know more about Christ. Look at verses 7 through 11. from God on the basis of faith. And this is my best, this is my favorite part. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is why we have joy and loss. From the world's point of view, it does not look like it. Excuse me, from the world's point of view, it seems like loss to not let money or comfort or power or prestige be your driving force. But from God's perspective, to lose those things is to gain so much more. Jesus exceeds anything and everything else. All the things Paul thought were worthwhile, he gladly throws them away so he can put his hope and his trust in Christ alone. Everything is garbage compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ. Paul now understood what Christ had preached in parable. Look at Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Paul had found something so valuable when he found Christ that he was willing to give up his old life just to gain more of Christ. He knew that to have Christ was to have everything. Paul knew there was so much more than just securing your spot in heaven. There's more than just saying yes one time. You can feel Paul's heart, the depth of his longing to know Christ and to find his joy in Christ alone. He wants to know more of Christ. Do you want more of Christ this morning? When you, get, when you let go of the worthless things in your life, you gain so much more of Christ. But what do you gain? First, you gain righteousness by faith. You gain righteousness by faith. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You are no longer striving and counting on being saved by being good enough or trying to dot every I or cross every T to gain God's favor. This is not a college admission test. This is about trusting Christ to save you. In in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul makes it clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Righteousness, being in right relationship with God, is not about how much you can do but about about what Christ has already done. My heart breaks for people who feel like they have to earn their parents' love and affection. My parents weren't great, but they, they taught me and my brother, they showed me and my brother that they loved us unconditionally and that we always had a place with them, that no matter what happened, wherever we went, we could always come back home. And that's God's promise to us, Our relationship with him is secure, and it is backed and guaranteed, not by what we do, but what Christ has already done. He died on the cross for our sins, for our failures and our missteps, and there is no turning back from that. Second, we gain knowing Christ. We get to know Christ. Paul says simply and profoundly, I want to know Christ. Does your heart yearn to know Christ? Do you want more of Christ? For Paul, the only way to really know Christ is to give up everything else. And this is not just a knowing Christ through facts. This is through experience and relationship. When I was in undergrad, we had to read portions of the Bible in my freshman literature humanities class. It was part of the reading list along with like Homer and Herodotus and Virgil and Homer and all these other people. Now, in our second semester, we read the book of Acts. Studious college students, they were. Did my classmates come to know about Jesus? Of course, they read. But did they experience Christ? I hope so, but I don't know. Just because you read about Christ doesn't mean you know him. It comes from experiencing Jesus, I really know Jesus is a provider, not just because the Bible calls him Jehovah Jireh, our provider, but because I have seen God show in, up in my life countless times, too many to, to, to name through underemployment and unemployment, through stupid and, 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 and uh, financial situations that I made, financial decisions that I made. I know God is a healer, not just because I read about Jesus healing people in the Bible, but because I have experienced his healing in my life and in the life of so many people that I know and love. And I know that God is a comforter, not just because he is the God of all comfort that I read in my Bible, but because when I lost my mother, and then I lost my stepmother, and then I lost my uncle during COVID, and all the loss that's happening around us, God has been our comforter and our strength. We know that when we experience Jesus. Paul is talking about a relationship, a relationship that transforms us. And this is not just about a one-shot thing. To know Christ is to be united with Christ. It is not simply just uh, an experience of the past when you said yes then. It is a present reality that informs us now. It comes through prayer and spending time with Jesus. All those of you who are married do you know what your spouse will order when you go out to a restaurant your best friend can you tell what they're feeling simply by the way they pick up the phone and say hello do you know how to make your parents happy you know those things because you've been in relationship with them you know those things because you have studied them because you have spent time with them Paul says he wants to know Christ Paul says he wants to know what makes Jesus smile, what makes his heart leap. He wants to know Jesus Christ in the transforming, life-shaping way. And in being so bold as to say, I want to know Christ, he challenges us to ask us the question, do you want to know Christ? Do you want to know him? Do you want to, to get to know him in a deep way? And if so, are you willing to surrender, to lose some things in your life, to to gain more of him? Finally, in losing, we gain the joys of righteousness by faith, knowing Christ and gaining resurrection power. Gaining resurrection power. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In January of 2012, I traveled with a group of seminarians to Israel. And in part of Jerusalem, called Old Jerusalem, there is the Via Dolorosa. That's Latin for the way of suffering. It's a 2,000-foot rote, believed to be the path Jesus walked to his crucifixion. Christians, when they come to Jerusalem, all, um, usually walk that route so they can embody what Jesus must have gone through. During Holy Week leading up to Easter, you may have heard of or, or walked the stations of the cross at a church. It's a pictorial rendering of Jesus making his way to the cross. You stop at each station and meditate on what happened in that moment. Jesus condemned to death or denied by Peter or entrusting his mother to John or being laid in the tomb. As you stop, hopefully you engage with all of your senses what is happening in those moments with Christ. That you feel the dust and dirt on your feet. You smell the, the, the sweat mixed with blood in your nose. The, the, you see the look of anguish on Jesus's face. Paul says, I want to know so, Christ so well that it's like walking in his shoes. Paul wants to walk as Jesus walked. And not just intellectually, but spiritually and, and, and having a physical embodiment as well. Paul knows that only if you walk the way of Christ will you experience the joy of Christ in resurrection. Christ's death was to be an ever-present reality in Paul's life. What does it look like? It looks like suffering, and it looks like death. Now, believe me, I don't like to talk about suffering either. No one wants to suffer. But if we're serious about our faith, it does involve suffering. It involves dying, and it involves dying daily. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're going to stop there. When we were baptized or confirmed, our baptism as an adult, or baptism as an adult, we die to our old selves. Paul is dead to his old life. In dying to his old self, Paul shares in Christ's death. Last week, Pastor IJ reminded us that Jesus tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. What does it mean? It means that every single day, we seek to shed more and more of our sinful nature. It means that we forsake the desire to be right so that we can understand the other person. It means that we forsake the desire to, 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 to go out on our marriage. It means that we turn our attention to our spouses and not to another. It means that we give of ourselves in service to others. By constantly choosing death to sin and self by the power of the Holy Spirit, a conformity with Christ's death occurs inside of us. And through that death, resurrection power occurs. Because the truth is, there is no resurrection if there is no death. And so the more obedient we are, the more we put to death our sinful ways, The more we crucify our flesh and its ways, the more resurrection power we obtain through Christ. Resurrection power is the power of transformation. Have you ever run into someone after many years and you can't believe the changes that have taken place in their life? Maybe they're now sober. Maybe their temperament has changed. They look like they're living a new life. When we die to our old selves for the sake of Christ, He does a transformative work inside of us. Every week, we remind you that the vision of this church is transformation. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the resurrection power that now lives inside of you to live differently, to be more forgiving, to be more patient, to be more loving, to be more confident in yourself as a child of God. One of my heroes here at Metro is Nicole Kim. Many of you might know her as Coco's mother. I absolutely adore her and am so very proud of her. When I met Nicole over a year and a half ago, the pain and grief and burden she carried were evident the moment I saw her. She was broken, unsure of herself, and so very fragile. But it wasn't her fault. She was in a horrible marriage filled with emotional and physical abuse, and financial abuse, excuse me, financial abuse. She lived in fear. She was physically recovering from a major back surgery and was in constant pain. She walked into my office one day, and the things she shared sounded more like a lifetime movie than it was reality. But it was all true. Her marriage had broken her. So much so that she even questioned her own sanity. She tried therapy. She tried doing devotionals with her husband. Nothing worked. She came to me because she couldn't think for herself or trust herself anymore. And over time and conversations with me and Pastor Mike and Pastor Kevin and the prayers and support of this Metro community, Nicole began to change. One of her fears was leaving her marriage. What would people think? Where would she go? She had nothing of her own. She felt like a failure. The thought of losing this marriage, as dysfunctional as it was, was too hard for her. But Nicole knew that she needed to lose her old life. She began attending Metro regularly and taking every class that was offered here. She began attending Wednesday at the well. She prayed and she asked others to pray for her. She she kept showing up and kept digging into the word and seeking after Christ. She wanted to know Christ. She wanted to experience his power in her life. She wanted to experience his love in her heart. She wanted to live the way Christ said that she could live in him. And over this year and a half, she's had to make some very difficult choices. She had to lose a lot. It wasn't a straight path for her. She fell a few times, but she got back up. She cried a lot, but I believe she has made it through the hardest part of her journey. She told me, I feel like I'm living a miracle. Her confidence has increased. She has found her voice. She is able to make wise decisions because she is leaning on the Lord. She knows with confidence and certainty that she is a beloved daughter of the Most High God and the future that God has for her is filled with hope. She wants to know Christ and she does. She lost the lies that she was not worthy or that she had to work for the love and affections of others. She knows that regardless of her past, she is righteous before God because of her deep faith. Twice a week, she volunteers cooking and delivering meals to residents here in Inglewood, and, and she and Coco are looking for a, an opportunity to move and be a part of God's work in this community. She's faithful to Metro. She is a blessing to so many and and an incredible witness to the transformative power of Jesus Christ. And she is living in resurrection power. She is living in the new life Christ provides. She is living in joy after so much loss. The woman I see today is completely different from the woman I met a year and a half ago. She said to me on Wednesday, my God doesn't stop pouring joy out on me. She is living with joy after facing so much loss. She is living in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And the power, the change, does not come from her. It comes from Christ, and she knows that. That's the resurrection power that lives inside of Nicole. That's the resurrection power that lives inside of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. But to have it, we've got to be willing to endure the pain of loss for the joy of gaining Christ. Will you do that today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as much as you cause us to lose the world for you, you offer us so much more in gaining all of you. So, God, as we count the cost, as we count the losses, the changes that we'll have to make in our lives, I pray, God, that all of us, that all of your children would know that it is worth it. The surpassing joy of knowing you, God, is worth anything that this world could offer us. God, I pray that you would help us to see, to know without a shadow of a doubt that those things that we find value and worth in that are not of you are merely garbage. But that by your power, your transformative resurrection power at work in our lives, we will gain so much more in you. God, we want to know you. And not just what someone else says about you and not just what we read about in our Bibles and not even what we just hear preached about, but we want to know you for ourselves. And so God, open our hearts, open our minds, make yourself known to us in a way that is so powerful that we will never go back. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Here at Metro, we don't believe that the sermon stops when I say amen or when you say amen, that there are some next steps that God wants to do in our lives. So I invite you now to, to find the communication card on the, on the Metro app or on our website, uh, emetro.org Sunday. If you locate the communication card, there are what we like to call next steps. I'm going to take you, you through them briefly. Number one, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want one. Check that box if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I offer you the joy of gaining Christ today. If you've never done that before, check that box. One of the pastors will reach out to you and we'd be happy to pray for you and let you know a little bit about Jesus Christ. Number two, I will pray about those areas of my life that I need to lose so I can gain more of Christ. Go to God. And allow him to speak to you about those things that you need to lose so that you can gain more of him. Number three, for the next 30 days, I will pray Philippians 3, 10 through 11. If you've never done it before, simply take the scripture and just pray back what you're reading to God. That you want to know him. You want to know the power of, 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 of his, sac- his sacrifice, but also the power of his resurrection. Number four, I will attend sacred space on July 19th at 1 30 p.m. This is for all of us here at Metro. We want to come together and we want to have a really difficult conversation, but we want to do it together as a church family. So we hope you will join us on July 19th at 1:30 p.m. Number five, I will complete the five-minute anonymous congregation feedback survey. This week in the e-blast, we sent you a really quick anonymous survey that I hope that you will fill out. If you didn't see it in the e-blast, if you go to our website under news and uh, under notices and events, you will see it there. Please take the time to do it today. Number six, I will read Philippians 3 verses 12 through 21 in preparation for next Sunday.